things that were built for this world can never satisfy an eternal need, yeah? The whole idea that we can get more and more and more stuff from here is still not going to fill the void in our hearts, no matter what we get, because it's not built for that. We have an eternal need in us, and nothing temporal is going to fix that. So what did he need? I'm going to tell you a story, a story about love, a story about compelling love. Jesus told this story in Luke 15. It's a story about a dad who had two sons. You see, there was the older son. He was the responsible one, the one that did everything right. I mean, whatever dad taught him to do, that's kind of what he was going to do. He worked around the farm, was part of the family business. He was faithful. And then there was a younger brother, and he was not so much that. As a matter of fact, one day he came to his dad and he said, I would like my share of the inheritance. But that was akin to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead right now. I would like to take all half of your stuff. But instead of being concerned about that, the dad cashed him out and he took off. He goes into another country nearby and just is a mess. He ends up blowing everything that he has on stupid decisions and he ends up penniless. He hits rock bottom and ends up in a literal pigsty. And he thinks to himself, I'm going to die here. I remember what it was like at home. I need to go home. Now I understand that what I did in my culture means that not only can dad cast me out and he should, but there's a possibility that the whole village is not going to let me survive but I got to try. Maybe dad will let me be a servant. So he humbles his heart, has repentance in his mind, and he heads home. When he hits the horizon, he sees a figure coming towards him. It was the dad. The dad had seen him come just over the break, and his dad was running at him. And sure enough, He grabs him, scoops him up in a big bear hug, lavishes kisses on him, says to his servants, get this man a robe, get him his ring back. My son, who was once lost, is now found. Let's throw him a party. So they throw this big, huge party. But there was one person that wasn't at that party. Who was that? The older brother. He's not at the party. So dad comes out of the party. And he goes to him to the field nearby where he's pretending to still work. And he says to him, hey, son, you coming into the party? Uh, no, no, dad. No, I'm not. You know, your brother's back, right? Uh, yeah, that's what everybody keeps telling me. So you don't want to celebrate that? No, dad. Actually, I don't. As a matter of fact, the fact that you would even ask me that means that you're not real clear on what went down. Uh, Maybe you remember this. Your other son, the one that walked away from you, the one that wanted you dead, the one that wanted your cash more than anything else, that one, the one that went into the other country and spent all of his cash on prostitutes and gambling, the one that violated everything you told him not to do. You talking about that son? Oh, that guy's back. You know what? He comes walking back into our lives and instead of correcting him, instead of sending him on his way, you throw a party for him. Here's my problem, dad. I have been faithful 
I always do what you tell me to do. My life, crystal clean. Yeah? I'm still here working on the family farm. Do I get a party? No, I don't get a party. You do realize that everything this kid's now getting is my stuff, yeah? He already cashed out. So anything you're giving him is coming off mine, yeah? And you want me to come into the party? Yeah, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. The dad takes a moment. Says, son, I'm not sure you understand. You see, look around you. You see all this stuff? We've done pretty well, yeah? The big house. You've always had your stuff. As a matter of fact, everything that I have, it's yours. But here's the thing that you missed. You've had me the whole time. He didn't have me. He walked away from me. He didn't have community. He didn't have family. He didn't have connection. He didn't have any of that stuff. But you did. And I'm not so sure that that means anything to you. I get it, kid. You've done everything right. But I'm afraid that while you've been doing everything right, your heart has been getting harder and harder and harder. You can't even celebrate when your brother, the one who we thought was probably dead, he's back. And that doesn't move you. Hmm. You heard the story, yes? The prodigal son. Famous story, right? Do you know what the story is about? Because really, the one that we always lock into, we love that story because we think of the screw-up, yeah? I mean, because we're like, that's totally me, right? We love the idea that this kid could blow everything, make all the bad decisions in the world, but his dad gave him a second chance. We love that story. But do you understand that the story is not primarily about that son? Do you remember there's another kid? There's the older brother. And do you remember who Jesus told the story to? He told the story to Pharisees. They're the older brother, not the younger brother. Gentiles were the younger brother. Who was he talking to? The older brothers of the world. And what was their problem? They were great on the outside. They did everything perfect. You want to talk about performance? You want to talk about religion? They're nails. They are good people. Man, in society, you wanted them to be your neighbor. Problem was, their heart was so hard, they didn't care about anybody else. They certainly didn't care about Gentiles coming in. That's the last thing they wanted. But the story isn't even about that brother. Who's the story about? Dad. The whole story is designed to show you the love of the Father. Who's the Father in this story? Our Heavenly Father, God. The one who made us, the one who created us, the one who shaped us, the one who sustains us. It's all about the dad. Think about what that guy did. Let's go back through the story. How did he know he was coming over the horizon? Because he looked for him every day. He was not going to miss that one day. He knew in his heart his son was going to come home. He knew that life was going to beat him down and at some point he's going to turn it around. And so he watched every day. He didn't wait for his son to get to the door. He ran all the way out and he got him. Grabs him and he does what Middle Eastern men in the ancient world do not do, which is what? Run. They got to stay cool, man. It's like, nope, you come to me, 
I'm the authority of the house. This guy grabs his robes and runs. Everyone else can make fun of him later on. As a matter of fact, the whole village is watching because they know the story. Gossip gets around. He did not care. He broke through all that, ran up to his son and made sure that he was restored. You know, it's interesting to me is that probably the one verse that we all maybe know, John 3.16, it says what? God's going to do go to any lengths to make sure his kids are rescued. That's what it says. Right? But there's a problem with the story. The problem with the story is that when I talk to you about the love of your heavenly father, some of you get a weird feeling in your stomach. Why? Because you didn't have a good dad. Anytime I'm bringing up dads, you start to have a tick. Yeah? It's like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about, but let's not talk about dads right now. Cool? Call him God. Don't call him dad. Okay, I need you to use your imagination as God designed you to use it, which is to be, I need you to dream of a dad that is unlike your dad. A dad that is not just a little better than your dad, a whole different sort than your dad. Even if you had a good dad, I need you to kick it up way bigger than that. Why? I'm going to describe to you the heavenly father that I know, the heavenly father that's revealed in scripture. And you tell me if you know this one, right? This is the joyful, fun, playful dad. The one who has jokes by the dozen, 50% of which are funny. But he knows how to make your day. He's the peaceful one. He doesn't lose his temper. He's always approachable. And he always makes you feel safe. He's the patient dad that lets you grow through processes. You don't have to have everything perfect right now. He's the kind one that brings home little gifts from work. Just to tell you he was thinking about you today. He's the good, good father who you never have to question his motives. You know that whatever he does is for your best interest. He's a faithful dad who keeps his word every time and shows up when he says he's going to show up. He's the gentle dad who's willing to sit down quietly next to you while you cry out your heartbreak and not have to say anything. He's the cool head in the storm giving you brilliant advice and not getting rattled by anything. But he's more than that. What do I mean? The Bible says that when God created Adam and Eve, he made them male and female and poured his image into both of them equally. So what does it mean? It means our heavenly father is not only everything that could be great about a dad, but everything great about a mom. Anything you ever loved about your mom, that was God. What am I talking about? Well, let's go back through the story. Remember, I told you he's doing some unusual things, this father. How in the world does he know how to work with both of his sons and know exactly what way to work with them? Mom knows that. How does he know that insight? How does he know that connection? How does he break through what all the other dudes would do and say, I don't care what's going on in society. That's my son. And so whatever else is going on doesn't matter to me. My relationship with my child is more important. That's mom. You see, your heavenly father is all of that. So I have a question for you. Have you personally 
experienced the love of that God for you in your life. Not did you read about him, not did you hear about him, not did a pastor say something about him, not does your parents know about him or your kids know about him or your spouse know about him or your friends know about him. Do you have that type of love from God in you? Do you feel it? I've got another story for you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and died on a cross. And when he was taken down, you see, he died on a Friday. That's why we end up doing the whole Good Friday thing. But they were up against the Sabbath, the Holy Sabbath, where you weren't supposed to do any work. So they had to hurry up and get him in a tomb. And they had to back off until Sunday morning. So those that were anointing the body and getting him prepped and ready for death, they had to break. But early Sunday morning, the women that were like Jesus' close friends, the the ones that financed his operation, the ones that were his followers and his partners, they went real early in the morning. And they were going to finish the job. They were going to roll the rock away and they were going to get in there and they were going to anoint his body because he was their king and the king deserved more than what he got. But when they walked up, what happened? Boy, it ruined their lives, yeah? Because when they walked up, the rock had been rolled back already. Something wasn't right. As a matter of fact, when they ran in there, the body was gone. Now, that was not something that was okay for them. As they searched frantically, all the women left except one, Mary Magdalene. She didn't leave. Why? Because she had had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus Christ. And when you know demonic, what? Possession and oppression, and then you know freedom, you don't ever be the same. She knew what it was like to be away from Jesus. She knew what it was like to be with Jesus. So there's no way she's leaving until she finds her Lord. Because she lingered, she was the first one to see the risen Lord. When she saw him, she freaked out. Right? She grabs onto him and he's like, "Hun, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, we got to get the news out. I told you I was going to wake up. I told you I was going to get up. I told you I was going to resurrect. I know you didn't believe me. I know you, you thought this is impossible. And it is normally. But here I am. I need you to go tell the boys. Can you go get them? I'll go make the other, make sure the other ladies know. And sure enough, as she runs away, he shows up to the other ladies. So now they all know the truth and they come running into the room where all the disciples are distraught. That's where I'm going to read the story to you. And returning from the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other women told all these things to the 11 apostles and to all the rest. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale. They didn't believe them. You see, they run in there and they're telling everyone he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And nobody cares because nobody raises from the dead, right? But look at this. But Peter and the other disciple ran. Why? Because they know if there is a shot, if there is a chance, they got to go find out for themselves. Both were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And they saw the linen cloths lying there by themselves. The face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was folded up in a place by itself. You see, this was no tomb raid. This was an organized walkout. And they went home marveling at what had happened. Why did they run? They could have walked. 
Why did they run? Because three years ago, a man had walked into their lives and demonstrated he was no ordinary man. He was the Messiah, a savior, the king of the Jewish people, the anointed one, a miracle worker, a lover of souls, a friend to the sinner, a revolutionary. And they were never the same. You always run towards the things you love, don't you? Think about it this way. We're all as a family. We're all in Disneyland. You got some young kiddos. One of them goes missing. They're gone for an hour. All the fun stops. You're scared out of your mind. Across the crowd, you see a security guard holding their hand, walking them back to you. What are you going to do? You're going to run to that child's side. Because you didn't know what was going on and now they're okay. Imagine a deployed mom, a deployed wife overseas for a six-month deployment. What do you think her kids and her husband are going to do when she gets off that plane? They're going to run. You always run towards what you love. And so they ran to that tomb. If there was even a chance that their Jesus was alive, they run. They had committed the last three years of their life to follow him every day. Every day they're at his side. He was more than a friend. He was their hero. Nobody loved like him. No one had compassion like he did. No one was patient like he was. No one could do what he did. They saw it. They lived it. And they loved him. They were committed to him. You know, when we talk about love, everybody wants to go to the romantic side of things. Do you understand that there's other loves? We've talked about the love for a child. Do you know that there is an incredible bond of love and devotion between men and women that are in combat together? Because the idea is what? We're going to die. If I don't get your back and you don't get my back, we die. That's how it works. I have to trust you implicitly. Whatever you say you're going to do, I know you're going to do. Because if you don't, we don't make it out of here. It's that foxhole camaraderie. It's the idea of saying we live and die together. That type of bond, that type of forcing together in difficulty, it fuses something powerful. You see, these guys had that. But on the worst day of their lives, they saw their hero stripped naked, severely beaten and nailed to a cross. He was supposed to hang there until he ran out of breath. Yet hanging on that cross, Jesus was still doing ministry. While he died, he ministered to the thief on his side. He ended up talking to John about take care of mom. He was always watching out over everybody else. Who is this guy? Somebody told them that he was alive. So they ran. Everyone else doubted and they probably said, dude, you don't need to run. They don't care what anybody else says. Because when you really love someone, you will go through any hindrance and go over any obstacle to get to the one you love so they kept running here's my question for you do you have that kind of love for god driving you in your life right now the i can't live without him kind of love that i'm going to go wherever he is kind of love the i can't see him but i know he's there kind of love that he's my hero i gotta be just like him kind of love do you have that in your life driving you But that's not it. You see, the compelling love of the Father for you, the compelling love from a Christian to their Savior, there's still more. You see, at Bridgeway, we have five core values. 
The first one is knowing God. The second one is loving generously. Why? Because we know that if God is ever going to love us and we're going to be rescued, then there's no way you can stay the same or it may not have been legit in the first place. Either you're changed, either you're wrecked by His love, either you're transformed by His love, or have you been loved at all? Yeah? You can't just be the same person. So we know that that is not only going to be evidence, but that is our new mandate. When you receive the powerful love of God, you can't stay the same. Your heart starts feeling stuff for others. You start having compassion because compassion was shown to you. With an overflowing heart of love from God, living as a Christian in the abundant grace, knowing that you have been forgiven of your darkest sins, living examples of mercy, you walk out your faith boldly and you're on a mission. A mission for what? A mission to change the world. Because you know That being a Christian is more than just going to heaven. It's becoming someone totally new. The Bible says that it's so radical, it's like being born all over again. The eternal part of you kicks to life. A radical transformation comes over you. The past, your sin, that part of you falls away. The The pack on your back is cut away by the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness washes over you and your whole being shifts. You are no longer you. You're more than that. You become part of the family of God. You become part of something greater than yourself. Something that's been going on since the dawn of creation. A movement. A revolution to change the world. So what's our message? Jesus and love. That's your message. People have to know the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, not just when they die right now. Yeah? Here's the deal. People need to know there's forgiveness for them today, that there is love today, that there's a firm identity to walk in today, that miracles happen today. And we have to love people deeply. You do not kind of love people. We do not tolerate people. We love them. We do not avoid them. We embrace them. We do not fear them. We win them. We do not despise them. We cherish them. Why? Because they were made by God. Not just the ones you like. All of them. Yeah? If he fashioned them with his own hands, if he breathed his own life into them, then you are loving him by loving his creation. All of them. They're messy, I know. They're frustrating, I get it. But Jesus loves them so much. Don't you? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.13, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. You see, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would never die but have eternal life. When love is strong, it's not about what you have to do, it's about what you want to do. Christianity is not religion. It's relationship. It's not rules-based. It's love-driven. Have we got that wrong? 
God wants to love and bless his people. The disciples wanted to follow Jesus even until the end. And a truly transformed heart really loves other people. It's not difficult. So, the question is, do you love the people around you deeply? Or is that a struggle? Can I have the worship team come on out here? I also need the prayer team to come on up. We are going to wrap up some things here in the service, but we have one more song that we would like to go through with you. But I'd like the prayer team to come all the way over on the extreme left here. It's going to be my right, but the extreme left, because that's outside of the, the speakers when the music's going. But before we close, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for two groups of people. You ready? Here's the first group. The first group is you know God has been calling out to you and watching over you your entire life. You know it deep down. You may be in church for your first time. You may be hearing about the message for the first time, but this ain't the first time that you've heard about God. God's been revealing himself to you since day one. When you were scared, who'd you go to? It's always him. You know. But today's the day to make a decision. Today's the day to say, I'm tired of doing my own thing. I need to be connected to my creator. The only way that's going to happen is you admitting who you are and letting Jesus be who he is. That's owning up to the idea that really you've only lived for yourself. Yeah. The Bible calls that sin. And Jesus said, you know what? I need my kids safe. I'm going to die and pay whatever penalty they need to pay because I got to have them live with me forever. Would you let Jesus do that for you today? That's the first group we're going to pray for. Second group, those of you that call yourselves Christians. We've got a lot of them here. Here's my question for you. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Are loving people, is loving people difficult for you? Like, when you go through traffic, everything just ticks you off, yeah? You lose your temper about everything. Short fuse, why? Why? What's going on? Where's the agitation coming from? Are you hard on yourself? Do you really think, has the enemy lied to you that you think that God is just constantly judging you so you judge yourself really bad and now you're judging everybody else? Everything's about everybody else's problem, yeah? Every time you read the news, you get more and more angry. There's no compassion anymore. Everything that you, what? Everything that you post online has a little bit of a bitterness and a little bit of an edge to it. Yeah? Everybody at work is a problem. They're no longer a ministry. But you call yourself a Christian. The problem, in my opinion, is that you're trying to scoop out of an empty well. You can't do that. You can't just try harder. Because if you try harder but aren't filled up with the love of God, what's going to happen? You're only going to try insofar as you care anymore. The minute you stop caring, it's all going to dry up. But if you're full, if you're overwhelmed, if you're overflowing, if you're abundant in the love of God, then loving other people and being compassionate is the most natural thing ever. You don't have to try. It's just who you are. There's some of us that need our well filled up again. We need the love of God to flow down into our hearts 
So this Easter, the resurrection can make a difference in how we love other people, yeah? So we're going to pray. Here's how it's going to work. When I pray something that represents your heart, I want you, just between you and God, I want you to slip your hand up and go, that pastor's talking about me. That pastor's talking about me. It's just between you and him. Afterwards, if you make a decision today, we got a whole table in the lobby that has some info to help you start because you're like, I don't even know what this means. We'll tell you. We'll walk with you. But it's got to start with a heart change. And that needs to happen today. So I'm going to pray for those two groups of people. Would you all bow your head and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we know who we are. We know what we've done with the life that you've given us. We understand that we've been living for ourselves. We we call ourselves good people. But good people don't get to heaven. Only forgiven people get to heaven. God, we need your forgiveness right here, right now. That Jesus, would you allow everything you did on the cross to work for us? To cleanse us from all of our sin, past, present, future. To put us in a whole new state of living. Let your mercy that's new every morning flow in our lives. For put us in a perpetual, perpetual state of grace. We own up to our sins, our mistakes, our wrongdoing, our selfishness. And we need you to take it all away. We need you to light us up for the first time. We need that eternal part of us to come alive. We need to be a child of God. We need to know the one that made us. And God, we can't reach you. So Jesus, you came down and reached us. So we slip our hand up and we say, save us today. Restore us today. Heal us today. Fix us today. You can put your hands down. And God, there are some of us that are your children already. We've been walking with you for such a long time that now, Lord, we don't even love anybody anymore. We forgot how much you saved us from. We forgot how much grace you've given us. We now have taken it for granted. And Lord, now we nitpick. And we're angry about everything. God, it's always using the phrase, those people, them, the world, the problems. But God, that is not how your children should live. We should be so filled by you, so filled up to overflowing, so abundant that God, there, whatever, can't even reach our hearts. Because the love flowing out of us is so strong, they can't go against the current. The negativity can't go against the current. The healing that comes out of our lives is so much greater than the disease trying to come and get us. God, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters that are willing to lift their hands to you. Flood us with your love, God. Holy Spirit, carve out space for you. Fill us from the inside out, from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top. Would you fill us with all that you have? We need the love to flow down. We need to remember that we're forgiven. We need to remember that you're not judging us. We need to remember that you're walking with us. We need to remember that you have compassion for our brokenness. We need to remember that you're okay with our process. 
Because God, if we don't feel that way, we're never going to act like that to anybody else. Right now on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, would you heal us and fill us up? 